Church, let me invite you to open up God's Word with me this morning to the book of Exodus. We're in Exodus chapter 34 today as we continue our journey in this portion of the Bible. But we've been singing to the Lord this morning, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. We've called Him the Savior of sinners and the soon returning King. And so I want to begin by posing the question, Who is He? Who is God? Who is this one? To whom we sing, who is this God that we worship? How would you describe Him? How might you define Him? You see, we get to know this God, the one and only God, through His book. And through His His book that we prepare to open, even now through the Bible, God reveals His character. He reveals who He is to us. And in our text for today, in Exodus chapter 34, God is particularly upfront and open about who He is. So we've been walking through this portion of the Bible, and here's the scene. Moses has been meeting with God. Moses is in a tent of meeting outside the camp as the leader of a people who've been rescued by God. Moses the mediator, the leader, is meeting with God. And as Moses meets with God, he presents to God a rather bold request. God, please show me your glory. Chapter 33, verse 18. Show me all of you, Moses is essentially saying. And this feels really, really bold, right? Particularly as, as we've been trekking through this portion of the Bible, as we've been reading through the book of Exodus, uh, if anyone, we, we know that if anyone has seen God's glory, it's this guy. It's Moses. Right? Through the, through the burning bush that never ever burned up, through the plagues that God performs through Moses in, in Egypt. Right? Uh, through the parting of the waters of the Red Sea, uh, up on the mountain, up on Mount Sinai, where Moses has been invited to meet with God, where God gives Moses, remember the Ten Commandments, those tablets inscribed by the finger of God. Moses has been meeting with God. Is that not enough, Moses? Moses wants more. He wants more of of God, which I think is the whole point of his request here. Those who have tasted the Lord's goodness have an insatiable desire for more of him. So let me ask you this morning before we open the scriptures, have you tasted the Lord's goodness? Do you know the goodness and mercy and grace and kindness of the God that we have gathered in the name of to worship today. Have you experienced His grace? Let's join together now in, in hearing about His grace. Exodus chapter 34. As you find your place there, as is our practice here, let me invite you to stand, whether in body or in spirit, for the reading of God's holy word. Let's hear the word of the Lord today. Exodus 34, verses 1 through 7. The Bible reads this way. The Lord said to Moses, Chisel out two stones, two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. 
Be ready in the morning and then come up on Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. No one is to come with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain. Not even the flocks and herds may graze in front of the mountain. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Would you pause with me in prayer? Father, we invite you now to instruct us to speak to us by the presence and guidance of your spirit through your word so that we might indeed know you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, you may be seated. Well, church, in this story, in, in this text, in the broader story of Exodus, we see the heart of God. We see the heart of the God who we worship. Moses wants to see God. He's, he's asked to see God, and in response, what does God do? God proclaims his name, Yahweh, the divine, the divine name And then he begins to describe his various attributes. He begins to tell Moses who he is. God tells him who he is. He defines and describes himself. He's the Lord. He's Yahweh, meaning he is. Church, God just is. He is. He always has been. He always will be. He is the self-existent, self-sufficient, eternal one, the one who always has been and who always will be. God says, I am. I am. Now the name alone, Yahweh alone communicates God's God's greatness. He's he's holy, meaning that he's set apart, he's distinct, he's incomparable, he's glorious. There's no one else like him. But God wants us to know him. He wants Moses to know him. He wants Israel to know him. And he wants us to know him. He wants the church to know him. He wants his people to know him in a more personal, more experiential, more intimate way. And so he begins to describe himself with some of his attributes. It's as if God says, I am. And then he begins to describe himself. I say, this is how I am. This is how I am. He says, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. This is who God is. And in the scriptures, this working description of God sort of becomes a refrain for God in the Old Testament, repeated several times in the Bible. Let me mention just a few. In Psalm 86, David prays. He cries out to God. He says, but you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Some centuries later, several centuries later, the prophet Joel is sent, called by God and sent to call the people who've turned away from God 
to repent and to turn back to God. He calls on the people to repent, to turn away from rebellion and back to the Lord. He says, rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. In other words, turn back to Him. Repent. Turn away from sin and back to the Lord. Why? Because He is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And He relents from sending calamity. A beautiful picture of God's unchanging character, His patience and His mercy for those who have turned against Him. Let me mention one more. Remember what Jonah says? Remember the story of Jonah? Jonah is called by God to go preach a message of repentance to a a foreign people, a pagan people, a wicked people, the Ninevites. And Jonah flat out says to God, God, I I ran from your call. I didn't want to go because I know you're like this. Because I know your character and I didn't want you to show your compassion on those wicked people. So what he says, Jonah prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I went the other direction. I tried to hide from you, to run from you. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. So church, this morning, I want to pause. I want to press in. To these two verses, Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7, because these words essentially became, in the history of God's people, a working definition for God. So who is God? That's where I want to camp out for the remainder of our time this morning, quickly walking through six attributes from God, about God, given to us. I have to pause, and I need to pause and mention this morning that I found uh, Tony Merida's commentary on Exodus particularly helpful here, and even borrowed some of his wording for uh, some of these key characteristics. But number one, to the needy, God is compassionate. Who is God? He's compassionate. To the needy, He is compassionate. The Lord, the Lord, or Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate God. To say God is compassionate is to say that he is sympathetic with us because he knows our weaknesses. Right? He sees us. He sees us all the time. There's nothing he does not see. He sees us in our need, and he's drawn to help us. That's who God is, part of his DNA, so to speak. Psalm 103, verse 13, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. So, friend, are you hurting today? Are you in need today? Do you need help today? To the needy, God is compassionate. And to those who don't measure up, He is gracious. God is gracious. To those who don't measure up, God is gracious. He's gracious. This is good news because none of us, not a single one of us, gathered in this place or any other place today, have measured up. To his standard. And so to say that God is gracious is to say that he gives undeserved favor. Not only does he not give us what we do deserve, which is his swift judgment for our sin, but he gives us what we do not deserve. The free gift of salvation. Friends, I I don't know about you, but I, I struggle to believe this. And I know it's true. Right? We read it. 
We read it. We teach it. I say it. I know this is. I know that salvation is by grace alone. But I naturally revert to some sort of merit-based understanding of God's favor, as if salvation somehow depends on my doing, upon my accomplishments, upon my self-attained morality. But it doesn't. It doesn't. Not. One iota. That's not grace. Salvation for Israel and salvation for us only comes, only comes by the avenue of God's grace. To the needy, God is compassionate. To those who don't measure up, God is gracious. And to the rebellious, God is patient. To the rebellious, God is patient. Once again, this is good news. This is good news because we, like the Israelites, are rebellious. We sin against God. We go our own way. We cheat on God by putting other things in our lives before Him. In fact, God goes on in this chapter. We're not going to read the rest of this chapter today, but God goes on to warn His people. They're preparing to go. Essentially, God has heard the, the prayers of Moses as He intercedes on behalf of the people. He says, okay, despite your idolatry, despite your rebellion, you've repented. I'm pleased with you, Moses, the mediator. I'm going to go with you. I'm going to commit myself to you once again. We're going to go to the promised land. I'm going to lead you to that land that I promised your ancestors. But God warns his people as they prepare to go. He warns them against getting too comfortable with the pagan practices of the people already living in that promised land. It's as if God is warning them about what they'll see because he knows their sinful tendencies. He knows. He knows us too well. And even so, he's patient with us. To the rebellious, God is, is patient. You know, as a parent, I've noticed, I think, that part of the maturing process is learning uh, to take in circumstances and information and then to respond in appropriate and helpful ways, right? And, and specifically, being able to control your reaction in the moment to undesirable Circumstances. Now, maybe it's just me. Maybe you other parents haven't ever seen this in little ones, but I think of a little guy that lives in our home, the youngest guy that's at that age, preschool age, where if things don't go his way, he just sort of tends to, to melt, like his life is following, falling apart in the moment. And, and praise God, this one is, is now potty trained. Um, but sometimes he forgets that he needs to go potty because, like, if it's time to go, you know, there are those moments that you have to remind your, your little one, you're about to get in the car and go for a ride, or you're about to go to bed, you, you got to go to the bathroom. And sometimes in those moments, if there are other things that are more important to that child in that moment, there's just sort of this melting reaction about going to the bathroom, as if it's this huge deal. little side note, unless, um, unless it's of his own free will and accord, like it was yesterday uh, afternoon at the park when I looked up, and uh, the trees being watered, right? You know what I'm saying there. Sometimes we, we react in the moment in, in inappropriate ways. Sometimes we don't take in information well and respond rightly. And, and some folks seem to have this perception of God that He has no self-control. Some folks have this perception that God is on edge waiting to pounce. He's waiting to blow. He's waiting to go off on the center. But it's simply not true. God is not capricious or volatile. But He is slow to anger. He's slow to anger. 
Peter says it this way, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Friends, God is patient. He is a patient God. And aren't you glad that God's patient? Aren't you glad that He's patient with you? And so far, this, this is all good news. God's compassionate, He's gracious, He's slow to anger. And next we see that, that He's loyal. To the unfaithful, God maintains His loyal love. Even to the unfaithful, He maintains His, His loyal love. So like to all these different folks in need, God meets those needs in a way that goes above and beyond. I don't, I don't know if any of you have ever been to Bucky's, but I had my first experience at Bucky's uh, yesterday over in Leeds, and wow, quite the place, quite the, the stop. I don't know, hundred and something uh, pump, gas pumps, and you go in, and it's like an all-in-one. There are hundreds of people there, and they sort of fit that mold. They, they try to meet all of your travel needs, right? To the one that needs gas, they've got gas. And you don't have to wait in line for your gas. To the one that needs to go to the restroom, boy, do they have the restroom. Right? To the, the, to the one that's got a sweet tooth, they've got all the fudge you could imagine. To the one who likes flavored meats, they've got this whole array of jerky. They've got it all. To all the different people, they, they've got, they, they've, they can meet your needs. So they think. That's what they want you to think. Well, there's one who really meets our Needs, who meets all of our needs, who, who is compassionate to those who are needy, the one who is gracious to those who don't measure up. There is one who is patient with the rebellious, and there is one who is loyal to the unfaithful. Some translations say loving kindness or steadfast love, and others say faithful love. The NIV uses abounding in love. See, the truth is we, we don't have a good English word for this Hebrew word. Hesed, it means loyal love and suggests that God takes care of His people all of their lives. doesn't give up on them. It's an eternal, infinite, unchanging love that God maintains for His people. God is loyal. He maintains His faithfulness to His people. He is characterized by loyal love. It's a steadfast love. It endures forever. It's constant. Even when His people are fickle, God remains faithful. This is good news. Maintaining love to to thousands, verse 7, meaning from generation to generation. The point being made here, implying that parents who know and enjoy this God, Parents who who know and enjoy the faithful love of God often see their offspring, not always, but often see their offspring, their children to grow up, to know and to enjoy God's faithful love, passing down a legacy of faith to the children. And I want you to know, church, this is something that we are increasingly passionate about and planning for here at Meadowbrook Baptist Church, equipping families, equipping parents, equipping grandparents, equipping parents to, to pass on the faith in the home. And so even beginning today, in your, your worship guide, there's a place at the bottom of the sermon notes there uh, for a family discussion guide to take home and to, to have an ongoing conversation with your children or with your spouse or with whomever the Lord puts in your path about what we're hearing in God's 
word together. And there'll be many opportunities to hear about that in the coming weeks. But remarkably, God is a God who doesn't give up on us. He doesn't abandon us. Even though our sin makes us guilty before Him, like Israel, we are guilty before God. But praise the Lord, to the guilty, God is forgiving. To the guilty, God is forgiving. Verse 7 says, And forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Wickedness is wrongdoing. Rebellion is betraying the relationship. Sin implies moral failure. The point is that God stands ready to forgive any and all kind of sin. Friend, have you ever done wrong? I know I have. Have you ever betrayed your maker by neglecting his desires for you? Again, yes, I have. Have you ever engaged in immoral thoughts, words, or deeds? Absolutely, yes, I have. Oh, fellow sinner, there's good news for you. There's good news for me. There's good news for us this morning. The Lord that we worship extends forgiveness. He's a God of forgiveness. extends forgiveness to the immoral, wrongdoing rebels like us. To the guilty, God is forgiving. To the unfaithful, God maintains His loyal love. To the rebellious, He's patient. To those who don't measure up, God is gracious. And to the hurting, He is compassionate. Does that sound like the God you know? Does it sound like the one that you worship? Oh, friends, He's good. God is so good. As the song goes, God is so good. He is so good. He is so good. He is so good to me. He is. But there's one more core attribute of God in our text that we cannot, we must not ignore. To do so would be unfaithful. Let's hear the text again. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love, and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. You see, to the unrepentant, God is just. He is a God of justice. Which means he, he cannot ignore, overlook, turn his back on guilt. He's a perfect judge. He's a God of, of justice. Yes, God forgives But the free gift of grace must be received by the sinner. Have you received the free gift of God's grace? Have you received the gift of forgiveness through the blood of the substitute? Have have you received the gift? You see, those who remain unrepentant don't get a free pass. As sin continues, God's justice continues even from, our text implies, generation to generation. In other words, to the unrepentant, God is just. Even in the next generation, in the next generation, in the next generation, it goes on. To the unrepentant, God is just. But to those who turn to Him in faith, He, he forgives every single wrong. In church, where else... Where else can we see the heart of this God so clearly on display, so clearly and vividly portrayed as we do on the cross of Calvary? Right there at the cross where my Savior died. There at the cross, God exercised perfect justice and yet showed immeasurable love. There at the cross, He showed deep compassion and abundant grace on those who don't measure up. Church, 
The God of the Exodus, the God of Moses, the God that we're reading about in Exodus, the God of the, of, of the Exodus reveals His heart in the Gospel of Jesus. In other words, the God of the Exodus is the God of the Gospel. And yes, he, he puts himself on display here to Moses. He says, this is who I am. This is what I'm like. And so he does at the cross. The God of the Exodus reveals his heart. The same heart, the same God. A God of compassion and grace, who is slow to anger, who is abounding in steadfast love, who forgives the guilty. And who displays his justice in the gospel of Jesus. Do you know this God? The God of the cross and the God of Moses. One who shows his heart there on Mount Sinai and there on the other hill. The one called Golgotha. The Bible says, John says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son. Or he says, you want to know, you want proof that God is loving? It's abounding in faithful love. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God. We didn't. But that he loved us. And sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Paul says this. He says, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. Right? We've talked about that before. Of mending that broken relationship that our sin has caused between us and a holy God. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. A gift of God's grace to be received by faith. Friends, see the heart of God for sinners today. See His heart See his heart. See God's heart, his heart for you, and receive his love. If you've not received the gift of Jesus, you can, and you can today. You can even now, right now, by crying out to him, by turning to him, there where you are, in your heart, acknowledging that you're a sinner before a holy God, deserving of his judgment, that your sin has caused you to be guilty before this holy God, but recognizing that in His mercy and in His love, He sent His Son to be that atoning sacrifice for your sins, to die in your place, to cover your sins so that God could remain just, punishing sin, and at the same time, justifying sinners like you and like me, making us right in His eye. If you have not turned to Him in faith, do so today. Turn to the living God for life, for forgiveness, and for salvation. And fellow followers of Jesus this morning, we have the opportunity to remember that sacrifice of Jesus. To celebrate it. To celebrate the life that, that we have because of what Jesus has done for us. To remember, to proclaim. That's what we're doing in communion as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ. We are celebrating the communion that we now have with God, the right relationship that we have with a holy God by grace through faith in Jesus. And we're also noticing as we partake of this together, an ordinance that God gives, that Jesus gives to the church, noticing that we're doing this together, meaning that we have an altered relationship with one another as well as brothers and sisters in Christ who've been brought together into one family. And we do so in the words of Jesus, anticipating, anticipating the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
So this time, let me invite you to spend some time reflecting, confessing sin before God. As our deacons who are serving this morning come to the tables, let me invite all of you, as they go ahead and and come and prepare to serve, let me invite all of you to prepare to take the elements if you know Jesus. See, this is an ordinance, a command that Jesus gave His followers, and only His followers, to remember to symbolize His death and His resurrection until He comes again. So if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we invite you this morning to participate in communion. If if you don't, we ask you just to spend this time in reflection, contemplation, in prayer, asking God to lead you that you might know Him. And we know that this has been an unusual season as we transition to more of a post-pandemic worship environment. So this morning you have a couple of options when it comes to communion. We invite all who would like to, to come to the table and to receive the elements in the more traditional way, the cracker representing the broken body of Jesus, the cup of juice that recalls the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. But for those that would prefer to remain where you are and to receive a prepackaged communion cup as we've done over the last several months, you have that option too. And so we'll have a couple deacons that will be serving folks that stay where you are. And so uh, Eric and Todd are going to be doing that this morning. If, if that's an option that you prefer as you see them, if you would just signal their attention and they'll be glad to serve you in that way. But I want to voice a prayer of thanksgiving. And then invite you to worship in a couple ways to worship as you're led to come to the table and receive the elements to go ahead and do so. You can you can take them at the table or you can take them back to your seat, whatever you prefer. And then also to participate as you're led and worship through song. But let's bow together and then let's come to the table. Father, we thank you for your provision. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his sacrifice. We thank you for your faithfulness. And your love. Father, we thank you for your grace, the way of forgiveness and eternal life through Christ. Father, as believers in Christ, we celebrate life in Jesus today. And Lord, as we take the elements, we pray that you would lead us to do so by your spirit in a way, in a way that exalts your name. And Father, I pray for those that are among us today, Lord, that, that are wrestling with these truths. Perhaps, Lord, that don't uh, acknowledge faith in you. Lord, I pray that you would work in their lives in a way that leads them to know you. Lord, lead each of us to know you, that we might worship you accordingly. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.